Welcome to B2B Sales Trends, the podcast dedicated to sales leaders in the B2B space, where we share conversations about innovative and successful sales transformations to keep you up to date on the latest trends. This podcast is brought to you by Global Performance Group. Hello and welcome to all of our listeners across the globe. My name is Will Reddick and I am one of your hosts today for this very first episode of the B2B Sales Trends podcast. This podcast will be a great one. We have Harry Kendelbacher, the CEO of Global Performance Group, one of the world's leading sales training companies. Global Performance Group transforms not only sales teams, but also leadership teams and procurement teams through a customized behavioral change process that challenges the status quo and the current way of thinking and provokes innovative solutions that get results. Harry will be interviewing Gerhard Schwantner, the founder and CEO of Selling Power, the world's leading digital magazine for sales managers and sales VPs since 1981. So with that said, I'm so excited for this. Let's jump right into the interview. Welcome, everybody, to our first episode of our new channel called B2B Sales uh, Trends. My name is Harry Kendelbach. I'm the CEO of Global Performance Group, and we've decided to move into the podcast uh, arena. What an original idea, right? And uh, we have uh, we want to share B2B sales uh, trends with our audience. Now, I'm based in Salzburg in Austria and uh, sent you all into the world. Greetings from there. Our first uh, guest of uh, this first episode of B2B Sales Trends, I would like to welcome and proudly present to you uh, Gerhard Schwantner. Gerhard Schwantner has, uh, is a founder and CEO of uh, Selling Power. He's founded the company in 1980. He's been uh, extending and expanding his business around the magazine, around uh, uh, TV, Selling Power TV, as well as a very successful conference host. Now, one of the thinking uh, that we had was to invite Gerhard, uh, not just because he's my fellow Austrian, but still somebody who tends to interview people and is on the other side of the table. So we thought, why don't we interview Gerhard for a change and put him in the seat to share that piece of information. So Gerhard, welcome to our first episode. Well, thank you, Sean. Thank you, Harry. It is an honor to be number one at your uh, highly successful podcast. Highly successful podcast, the first one. Well, uh, welcome, Gerhard. You are the second famous Austria in uh, the land based in US. Uh, in the US, uh, go and share a little bit with us, why have you moved there? What was the vision all these years ago uh, that's made you successful? Well, it is funny because when I grew up in outside of Salzburg in Targau, um, my grandmother ran a country in and there was a river. And I said, where does this river go? And she says that goes to the Salzach. And where does the Salzach go? Salzach goes to the Danube, and the Danube goes where? Uh, to the Black Sea, and wh where does the Black Sea go? Well, that's connected with the um, 
Atlantic Ocean. And what, what's on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean? And she said, well, that's uh, America. That's the United States. And I said, well, if I build a boat and uh, drop it in the river, can I go to America? And she said, technically, yes. And that was a conversation I had when I was about maybe six years old. Uh, and I had no idea that that, uh, that dream would uh, turn into reality. As a nine-year-old, I made a list of what I wanted to do uh, with my life. And uh, one, one uh, goal was to have a business like my grandmother. Uh, second, I wanted to have a hot dog stand like a Würstelstand. And, uh, and the third was to create a newspaper. And, uh, you know, fast forward, I've worked with a, a French construction equipment company in uh, Salzburg and they transferred me to their headquarters in Paris. And I was in charge of international sales training and uh, then got transferred to the American subsidiary. And that's why I stayed and started my own business. And I created uh, the idea for Selling Power Magazine as a newsletter first, and then uh, we upgraded it to a newspaper tabloid uh, that we published in 1980, four times a year. And in 1981, we uh, increased the frequency to six issues. And uh, within uh, 10 years, it became the largest uh, sales management magazine in the world. Uh, and uh, we reached a circulation of about um, 150,000 uh, paid subscribers. And uh, I remember in 1999, I was offered $10.5 million for Selling Power magazine by a New York uh, uh, conglomerate. And they wanted to integrate it with uh, their stable of publications. And uh, I said, no, I don't want to do it. Um, I, it's not about the money, it's about the mission. And I love what I'm doing, interviewing a lot of very successful people, uh, tr uh, trying to be the broker of ideas between the solution providers and the problem owners. And the solution providers were the successful sales organizations and sales leaders and CEOs and uh, the problem owners, the salesperson out there and the sales trainer and the sales manager. They need current information so they can uh, create more customers. Wow, so fascinating, so fascinating. Uh, I, I love that that story, and I love that it turned out uh, the way it did for you. I want to go back to something that you said right at the beginning. When you were nine years old, you have decided uh, to make a list and make a plan. Right? I mean, that's pretty early uh, to do that. Um, when we talk about sales and B2B sales, how important is it to have a list, to have a plan, to, to really uh, um, you know, map out uh, uh, the future and have a target? What would you say to that? Well, there was a study in, uh, uh, published in Harvard Business Review um, a long time ago about uh, people who had a vision, had a plan uh, versus those that uh, uh, did not plan out their lives. Uh, those that had a plan and had goals and had a uh, deadline, uh, they were like um, 
80% more successful than their counterparts. Mm. So um, a goal is very, very important, whether you're a salesperson or a sales manager, and you also need to have a vision uh, for your people that you can uh, rally them behind, you get them to buy into your vision. So mm. it becomes a joint mission. And, uh, you know, sales organizations don't have those conversations with salespeople about their goals. And that's, that's really a missing link. And uh, more important than the goal is also the why behind the goal, because uh, the bigger the why, the bigger the try and the easier the how. Mm. And isn't that hugely important when you say the, the why is the, the, the key point behind the goal? Isn't that all, all, also what we need to sell to? The why you need to do this? Absolutely. Why you need to achieve yeah. this, right? Yeah. And, you know, obviously that, that's, those are really key elements. What would you say to staying with this topic? What would you say to the fact that how flexible you need to be to adapt your plan? Well, I, I think that's the, the human challenge. Um, mm. when, when it comes to adaptation, um, you know, we keep, need to keep in mind that we are living in our minds in three time zones, mm. uh, the past, the present, and the future. Mm. And uh, so our minds are tuning into the history channel, into CNN and sci-fi channel. Mm. And what we need to do more is be in the present moment and understand that the past is over and that the future is a huge opportunity waiting out there for you. And uh, you want to uh, embrace the, the present moment and build on what you are sensing in the present moment and let go of the past and embrace the future every single day. And if you don't let go of something, you cannot grow into something. Hmm. And that also has to do with sales results, obviously, and, uh, and, and, and any, anything in relation to that topic. You are not going to grow if you, if you focus too much on what happened yesterday. And it really is. I mean, this, we're on a B2B sales trend channel, but still, that, that's really a, a life philosophy. If you can live that, that's, that'd be amazing, right? Absolutely. When you had, um, you have many years of experience, I'd like to tune into the history channel just a little bit or the past, as you've sure. mentioned it. Mm -hmm. um, what, what are the biggest changes you've seen over the past 40 years when it comes to sales uh, and sales leadership? Well, I think that we, we need to understand what has not changed first. Uh, mm. which is the fundamentals of selling are still the same. Uh, mm. Because to me, sales is based on a foundation of personal communication that's focused on delivering customer value. Right. That's the job of a salesperson. Uh, Peter Drucker, another Austrian, said that the purpose of a business is to create a customer. And uh, salespeople are hired and paid for that customer creation process. 
and the communication um, process has changed. And uh, so with the advent of the, the internet, everything has changed. I remember when uh, Salesforce.com was founded in uh, 1999 mm. or 1998. Um, and they had, um, you know, an, an amazing blast off with U2, um, you know, the band launching the company, which was a grandiose scheme by uh, Mark Benioff. He got a lot of press for that. And I remember interviewing Benioff and I said, uh, what makes you think that uh, an online solution is going to work when there's so many competitors out there that have CIM in a box? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the CIM in a box was, was the replacement of the shoebox of uh, three by five cards that salespeople had, and they owned all the information about customers. Mm -hmm. But, uh, and I said to Benioff, there are two companies. Uh, it was uh, SiebelSales.com that had 10,000 online subscribers and they shut it down. And uh, ACT had interact.com and they had 10,000 subscribers and they shut it down. And I said, well, what makes you think that you are going to succeed with the same idea? And he says, well, first of all, we're gonna do it better. And second, uh, spend 50% uh, of my revenues on marketing for the next 10 years. Mm. And that was an old statement. And uh, so the biggest milestone for change is the internet and, and uh, CIM with salesforce.com. And then Mark Benioff also thought about, uh, you know, extending CIM through applications. And he uh, took the model from Apple with the app, uh, with the app store. And uh, today Salesforce has 3,400 apps designed to accelerate sales, marketing, and training. And, uh, and then after that came the trends of mobile, social, big data, cloud, and uh, artificial intelligence. So interesting, fascinating story. We appreciate you sharing that. And it, it, it's interesting when you, when you said that the fundamentals of selling is basically still the same, right? And to quote... Uh, to take the quote from the story that you mentioned, we're just going to do it better. Uh, what's your opinion when, when you think about sales skills and, and how to create a sales dialogue? I know you've, you've done millions or at least thousands of interviews uh, on that topic. Is it really a case of here are the fundamentals and they won't change? And is it a case of the good ones will be those ones who will do it better? Is it that simple? Well, I think the, the question is really, what is at the heart of um, that reluctance to adopt? Um, I, I think that at the heart of uh, selling is storytelling. And... Mm. Some people tell the same story over and over. And uh, you're doing a podcast today, mm. uh, your first podcast, and it's based on the realization that your story is not as significant as the collection of stories that you can present that come from different minds. Right. Uh, because people want more, a richer perspective. So storytelling, good storytelling, 
that incorporates multiple voices is more important than ever. Uh, but then there's the flip side. We live in an age that offers an abundance of information, right. which curiously leads to poverty of attention. Mm. There's a lot of noise out there. So that means that your story needs to be shorter, needs to be more compelling, and needs to be more relevant. Right, right. And that's really difficult for, for salespeople to, to execute, right? Because they are living, especially nowadays, in a new environment. And now I'm fast forwarding now to the present, or as you refer to it as the CNN channel of things, of the current things that are happening. Um, do you think, and there's a lot of content out there on this, obviously with COVID and, and the new environment and so forth, I want to say that it's not that difficult for people to continue executing the same sales skills. Is that, are you of the same opinion with this uh, in terms of what currently COVID is impacting? Well, I think that uh, there are two things that have changed uh, through COVID. Uh, one is that uh, budgets became a lot tighter Mm. And uh, people got more nervous about spending money and therefore uh, decisions have been moved uh, to a higher level. And mm. uh, in some cases, only the CEO can sign off and uh, there are more decision makers. So mm. what has fundamentally changed is that the assumption that sales was a linear or buying was a linear process Uh, suggesting there was a buying journey that one buyer goes through, like, uh, uh, you know, uh, meeting certain uh, milestones or dots mm -hmm. on, on, the, on the landscape. Uh, that model is broken. That model doesn't exist anymore because mm -hmm. uh, the buying journey is more like a maze that involves not just getting from the entrance to the exit, but hitting certain uh, decision makers in the process and finding them mm. and, and getting them into the conversation and uh, customizing and tailoring your presentation to those different stakeholders that do have a say. Mm. And especially what, what we hear all the time is the idea of you got to bring innovation to me, right? You got to bring innovation to the table if you want to sell me something. And especially linking into what you're saying, there are many, many different decision makers now, different buying centers and, and different people you need to engage with. So really adjusting uh, the way you bring innovation and drive that dialogue effectively with each stakeholder, because everybody has different needs, right? Uh, seems to is more important than ever now, right? Yeah, I think there's, there, there are really two things that work and not just one. I think the mm. uh, being innovative is, is a very essential part. Uh, but I think salespeople need to get better at the diagnostic phase of the sale. Mm. Uh, do we want to pursue that target? Is that the right target? And why is it the right target? What is the opportunity there? Mm. How do we truly understand uh, the, the gap between what the buyer is telling us 
um, and what the buyer really wants and what is the buyer really after or what does the buyer truly value? Um, is, is it fake? Is it real? Um, are they able to diagnose, or diagnose their own problems? Uh, in many cases, no. So um, the ability to open a, an opportunity uh, demands a lot more thought because things are moving very, very fast and the information that we get from buyers is not always reliable. So we need to sharpen our diagnostic skills first before we can be innovative. So how do you really get to a level of need? You see, I, I sometimes have that problem when somebody is trying to sell me something and you sort of, you know, want to, obviously we're in the industry and you sort of want to hear how they're doing it and so forth. When, when you focus on that diagnostic phase, and yes, preparation is one thing, what you've mentioned in terms of, uh, is it the right customer? You know, who do we want to go after and so forth? But when you actually have the diagnostic phase with that prospect, um, my issue a lot of the time is that people ask the same old rubbish questions. And honestly, they're asking you questions that are, they, they should know the answer to already. And they're only confirming what, quite honestly, they should be prepared for. And nowadays, when you need to be faster, more innovative, get to the point quicker, that's a waste of time. Am I on the right track here? I think we need to really create that those underappreciated needs, those under... Uh, underdeveloped needs, needs that the, the customers didn't know they had and, and create a level of dialogue around that area versus, okay, ask me something better than this. Yeah, and I think that one of the thing is, is the problem definition. You know, you, if you ask the, the buyer, you know, what, what's wrong? Uh, how can we help? Um, what what solution are you looking for? Hmm. And uh, you know you probe around the, the problem and and then ask a question like you know let's say you you're the buyer and I would ask you, uh, Harry, that sounds like an interesting challenge. Uh, how do other people feel about uh, this situation? Uh, or how would other people in your organization describe that problem? Yeah. Um, or what are the consequences if you did nothing? Right. Um, have you uh, looked at right. uh, doing this yourself internally? Um, uh, you know, there are many ways to approach a problem. Mm. Uh, is buying something from us really the, why would that be the right solution? Mm. And I just want to help you, um, you know, become aware of the full dimension of the problem that you're facing. With a challenge that you're facing, so we can co-create the solution together. Exactly, exactly. <clears throat> I've I've read a quote the other day, but it said, "Innovation is innovation." And if we don't have any collaboration, we cannot innovate. Would you agree with exactly. that statement? Totally, totally. It's interesting. And, and that, uh, to me, the sale is a process of co-creation. Uh, in, you know, in, in many cases that, that is no longer necessary because a lot of sales are moving online. Mm, mm. So really it is, uh, if we shift our mindset a little bit in terms of 
let's not sell this client something and that be on the forefront, but rather how can we best collaborate with all the stakeholders involved in order to bring innovation to the table? That should get us somewhere, right? Absolutely. Mm. And, and I think the, the other issue is, uh, and it's very subtle, is uh, to probe around beliefs. What does mm. the buyer believe? Mm. Um, you know, how does the, uh, and, and the best way to ask him is, uh, what is your belief about your customer base and how you serve your customers and what, what do they want in the future? How do you get your organization ready for a better customer experience while you're growing the company? And uh, so if you dig into the belief system of the organization, and understand the culture, then you can really uh, tailor your innovative proposal uh, mm. to their culture and you have a better chance of finding the right fit. Right, right. So interesting. Um, let's go to the future channel. I think you refer to it as the sci-fi channel. So we've had the past, right. the history channel, the present, the CNN channel which we've just discussed uh, in the age of COVID, what, what's happening. The future channel, the sci-fi channel. Um, what's the next big shift in B2B sales? Well, I think there are, there are a number of um, you know, things that are obvious. Uh, we're on a path of digital transformation, which has uh, accelerated during COVID. Um, and I remember a uh, McKinsey survey just came out uh, showing that, um, you know, six months into the COVID crisis that 74% of buyers and sellers believe that virtual is just as effective or more effective than before. Mm. And only 26% believe it's less effective, mm. which is amazing how fast things have changed in the last six months. So. Mm. Obviously, there are going to be more shifts around, um, but I, th I th my uh, you know hunch is that the future B two B sales is not about creating uh, more sales channels, but I think a lot more money is going to be invested in creating better online experiences, either to prepare for the transaction or prepare. Uh, the sales organization uh, for, uh, you know, helping the buyer uh, reduce that, that journey time, that discovery time. Um, I'll give you one example. You know, think about Amazon.com doing over $350 billion in sales with no salespeople. Mm. So the future of B2B is, is expanding their online channel. Mm. Um, and there's another survey that says that today over a third of B2B buyers are willing to spend between 50 and $500 million online without speaking to a salesperson. Yeah, crazy. It's, it's crazy, completely reduces and in a way relegates, I'm not sure if that's the correct English, uh, English word, relegates the, the role of, of a salesperson, right? Uh, and it does. It really really does. Need to and think differently, right? Right. So uh, the, the, the role of the salesperson, uh, I'll go back to the basics. 
uh, is to understand not the needs of the buyer for uh, the purchasing needs or the, the, the business needs, but the need for clarity, mm. the need for discovery, uh, the need for certainty. And that is the real sweet spot in the future of sales. Um, buyers go through agony to try to navigate among those millions of choices that are out there to uh, they, they want to make an investment in their own future. They want to make an investment in profitability, in growth. Uh, they want to achieve their goals, but mm. they don't want to make the wrong decision. And in order to make a decision, you need to educate yourself. And the internet is not the best educator because there's a lot of fake stuff on the internet. Mm. Um, I, I'll give you an example. I wanted to look into, uh, you know, I like to work out and uh, with COVID, you can't get a massage anymore. So I thought I'm, maybe I'd buy a massage chair. Mm. So I go through the different manufacturers and some are from China, some are from Japan, some of them from the United States. And there was one company that had a great presentation. They had great testimonials and uh, they, they looked all very good to me. And I thought, this is the right way to go. And then I realized that uh, the CEO of the company has been indicted for fraud before. And uh, the Better Business Bureau has a lot of complaints about their company. But on the internet, this sounded really good. Right, right, right. So uh, when you think about what you position, how do we create a better online experience in order to help sales uh, going forward and then plug in the salespeople when they need to, uh, that aspect really needs to be taken under consideration. How can we be, uh, you know, highly ethical about what we do, highly transparent about what we do? And also, I think also make it really easy for the customer to buy, right? Right. And, and again, the foundation of sales is trust. Right. How do you build yeah. trust online when there's so much fake stuff online? Mm. That is the challenge to overcome. And uh, I know that uh, companies are working on that. Um, and, and I think there, there will be more, um, you know, internet websites that, uh, you know, like there's fraud report or the, the consumer reviews. There, there will be something in the future uh, for B2B sales where, you know, you have ratings like uh, G2, you have Glassdoor, you have... Uh, mm. Uh, you know, so many websites that you can check. But again, that requires a lot of work on the, on the part of the buyer to weed mm. through the information. And it's not easy to buy something that, that really works. Mm. Right. Um, this is very, very good insights, uh, Gerhard. I also want to uh, point people to, um, you've got another sales conference coming up, 3.0, the 10th and 11th of December. I know I've been to uh, uh, a couple. I know you had to virtualize things yourself, so you really had to create a virtual experience from what used to be uh, uh, a a 
face-to-face, in-person uh, event. And, and I know you're always sharing uh, fabulous insights on that, uh, on that conference. And anybody who hears that, I, I strongly recommend you to, uh, to participate. Tell us a little bit about that sales uh, 3.0 conference and, and, and what are the main topics that people can learn and take away from there? Well, thank you for asking. The, uh, the biggest challenge for virtual conferences is really the networking. Um, people go to live conferences because uh, there's serendipity at work. You uh, run into something, somebody, and you discover you have something in common. And uh, soon you make a friend, you have a business connection, you have a source of information, and uh, you network with that person in the future where you do business together. And um, I know a lot of our sponsors have found that at uh, live conferences, you know, they uh, run into somebody, somebody and all of a sudden they do a half a million dollars worth of business with them than with a person they have never known before or never knew that their company even existed. Right. Um, so how do we replicate that online? So we mm-hmm. went with webinar.net and realized that the networking capability wasn't there. So we switched to Brella.io, which actually has a tool uh, for networking that they designed in a way like match.com, where mm. uh, every attendee uh, you know, states some preferences and can select from, let's say I'm interested in... Uh, CS training or in coaching or in CRM or in artificial intelligence. And I want to network around those themes. So we, we offer attendees a choice between uh, eight different themes. And then they uh, you know, put in their own profiles and what they're doing so that there's transparency. And then people can use an AI tool to search among the thousand registered attendees, uh, who would be a great target to speak with? And uh, the networking that goes on at uh, those conferences is amazing. You know, that Mm. a sponsor can uh, set up in advance, maybe uh, 15 or 20 meetings uh, Mm. in one day. So that makes it a lot more profitable. And for the themes, uh, we, we always focus on Three things, people, process, and technology. Um, mm. What can we do about salespeople, about uh, sales compensation, about sales training and coaching or mm. motivation? Uh, what, what can we do in terms of processes? Where's the world moving? How do we shift to a virtual sales world? And what are the tools that we need to make it happen? Uh, mm. What are the current technologies that uh, companies are using right now and what is on the horizon? What can we do in the future? Do we need mm-hmm. to think about AI? How do we integrate that? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, do we look into the uh, into machine learning that analyzes our sales conversations? And uh, uh, will facial recognition be available in analytics so we can uh, give salespeople a feedback in real time about the bias emotion? And their mm. levels of engagement during a call. I mean, mm. there's a, a lot happening that um, sales managers, sales leaders, sales enablement leaders want to know, and that's why they come yeah. uh, to our conference. The other thing that I've discovered is that because there's no barrier 
of traveling and no, you know, threshold. Right. Now. Thing, right. uh, we have uh, now participants from over 44 countries mm. uh, coming to our virtual conferences. That's interesting, getting that, that level of uh, international diversity. Uh, that's certainly an upside now on, on the whole COVID thing and people not able to travel to add that as an additional, uh, additional audience. That's great. I can only uh, recommend uh, a sales 3.0 conference, 10th, 11th of December. Um, go and check it out. Uh, Gerhard, it's been an absolute uh, pleasure to have you as my uh, first guest uh i would like to say thank you thank you uh to for you to make time uh to share your wisdom to share your knowledge your true uh leader thought leader in uh, in the sales training industry and uh we've touched on some really interesting topics and uh thank you for for your time uh this concludes our first episode of uh, b2b uh, sales trends i uh, hope everybody liked it uh, join us in our second episode uh to come very very shortly my name is harry kendelbacher from globalperformancegroup.com come and check us out uh and listen to the next uh podcast coming up soon Thank you, everybody. Take care. All the best. Stay safe. Bye-bye.